Welcome to the Organizing Ideas Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Karen, and we are two new librarians and archivists and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. We are now living in different cities, heartbreaking. So I am recording on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil peoples. I'm recording on the territories of the Lekwungen peoples, including the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasamish peoples. And today we are going to be talking to you about our reading highlights from the last seven months, what happened for us in 2020, and uh, maybe a little bit of what we're looking forward to in 2021. So maybe we could start off by kind of updating people a little bit on how we've been doing things for the podcast, because it's a bit different. And we do get people asking us, like, how do you podcast? How could I podcast? Mm-hmm. So it's nice to provide people with little updates on that. Everything is virtual this year. People are a lot more used to going on to a phone call <laughs> on a video call with us. We don't get yeah. to go to the Inspiration Lab anymore. Which I guess is easier for scheduling, but I do miss, like seeing people in person it was kind of cool to hear our audio through our headphones yeah yeah but we've been doing everything over skype because it's pretty easy to record it and this year we've changed things because i guess when yeah when we mentioned last time i think with covid um suddenly everything became a lot harder to manage so we decided in the summer we would just kind of do all of our preparation of recording, interviewing, editing, and then release into the fall. And, you know, some of that prep work trickled into the fall, but it was so much more manageable to have like that backlog of episodes to work with. Yeah, it helped us a lot. I think, especially at the beginning of the season, towards the end of the season, we've had a few things that we were hoping were going to fall into place that didn't. (laughs) So the last few weeks have been a little bit more challenging, but um, by the time you're listening to this, the end of the year is upon us. We are relaxed, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) But um, yeah, one thing we never did this year, we said we were going to do an episode about COVID and some of you sent us actually some really, really powerful voice clips and we just never had it in us to actually record something about that. Um, For a long time, it felt like things were changing too fast. And by the time we had said something, it was different. And I think it was also really an emotionally heavy topic that I at least was not really and am not necessarily really ready to uh, process in a podcast that will be around for a long time. I, I may not want to revisit my thoughts about anything going on at any one moment this year for a while. Yeah, and it's just like such a big topic. I'm, I feel like every, a lot of conversations I have with like anyone, we, we talk about COVID. So I feel like maybe there's enough conversation going on. And I think we had trouble like figuring out how to focus, like what kind of angle are we taking? And we did like kind of bounce around like leadership in COVID or um, whatever. So yeah, maybe we'll return to it, but I think we're kind of, we kind of just hit a wall. Yeah. When we're, when we've been talking about our episodes for 2021, we do have a couple that 
may look at quite specific parts of librarianship and how, like what they're like these days. And of course, that's going to include how they've been affected by COVID. Um, but we're not going to tell you our plans for episodes for the new year. We haven't yet invited people. <laughs> we, we want them to know first. But the last thing we have to say about the podcast, we, we you know, we try and say this regularly and, um, you know, we can't say it enough, probably, which is our huge gratitude and appreciation for our friends Sam and Victoria, who so generously volunteer their time to help us transcribe these episodes. And we hear from people quite regularly who say that having the transcripts makes this podcast accessible to them in ways it would never be otherwise. So people really appreciate that work. And we are really grateful that these two have been doing that for us. So a huge, huge, huge thanks to them. And I know that people are out there reading this in a Google Doc right now. And that's thanks to Sam and Victoria. <laughs> yeah, it's been like such a great help. And like, uh, yeah, super, super grateful. Um, yeah, and in terms of just how we like do the podcast, we have a page on our website um, about just how we do it specifically with like what platform or like what software we use. Yeah, it's there's a page there for for you if you're interested. On to other news from this year. We both have had some changes in like our professional lives, I suppose. Um, this spring in one of our episodes, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, I've worked uh, most of this year since March uh, as the digital resources librarian at Burnaby Public Library where I work. Um, which has been a wild ride during the pandemic. There is a lot to do for digital resources. It's been extremely interesting and fun. But in the new year, I'm going to be starting a new job, um, a permanent one, which is exciting, <laughs> at Burnaby as the systems librarian. So I'm really looking forward to that. What is a digital resources librarian? Because like I, I know from asking you and like from what you've told me, um, but in case like you know, folks don't know, like, what, what are digital resources? What did, what did you do? Yeah, it's very jargony. It's very library jargon kind of thing. Okay, digital resources are all the stuff you can get access to digitally, generally online through uh, the library with your library card. So it includes things that people tend to be familiar with these days, which is like audiobooks, ebooks, streaming video, streaming music, um, but it also includes other kinds of online databases. So at Burnaby, we have stuff that's like car repair database. Um, we have uh, databases with like more academic publications and journals where people can get access to articles. We have um, uh, lynda.com, which is like, you know, video tutorials for learning how to use different kinds of technology and business skills. We have um, tools for people to learn a new language. We have all like a huge array of stuff. So as digital resources librarian, my job is to um, deal with the back end of those things. So questions like licensing and paying for them and making sure that the sign-in is set up properly so you can type in your library card and get in seamlessly. Um, that takes up more time than you think. Um, uh, making sure that 
those um, are working smoothly and troubleshooting when something's going wrong or helping patrons when they're trying to do something for the first time with it and don't know how. Um, I don't do a lot of that support directly with patrons. A lot of what I do is supporting our staff, so training staff when we get a new resource or um, helping them with troubleshooting with a patron. Yeah. The audiobook and ebook stuff has taken up a lot of time this year. We've had on that than we would in a typical year because of redirecting funds to that during the pandemic. But I do a lot of selection of materials, so you know, picking what ebooks and audiobooks we're going to buy and paying for them. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of weeding. We don't weed it in exactly the same way that we do a physical collection. Um, managing holds cues to make sure that when, you know, the latest stupid book about Trump comes out, we buy enough copies so that people don't have to wait for that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of different parts of it. It's a, it's really, really interesting and fun work. So if anybody's ever considering working in digital resources and you want to talk about it, let me know because I truly do love it and would love to talk about it with people. That's so cool. I didn't know all the other different aspects of your job. I knew that if I requested the library to buy an ebook, you were behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And I know that as a going to be patron. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So what is the systems librarian though? Systems librarian, there's a, there's some places where the two things kind of overlap and touch on each other, but systems librarian is responsible for like library systems, technology kind of generally. So um, as a public library, we also have a relationship with city IT. So they do some of the technology support for staff especially, but the systems librarian takes care of things like our public computers and printers and scanners and self-checkout machines. Um, for libraries that have automatic materials handling systems is usually involved in setting that up and making sure that's operating smoothly. Um, and then systems also deals with stuff like our, here's time for more library jargon, ILS, Integrated Library System, which um, is uh, the big database that holds all the information about all the books and movies and stuff that the library owns, um, as well as information about patrons. Uh, so, you know, like if you have a library card, we have a little record in our system that says your card number and your name and your, you know, how we can get a hold of you that kind of thing. Um, and our OPAC, which is an online public access catalog, which is like when you go to our website and you log in and you see what you have a hold on, or you go and check what new books we've ordered or whatever, um, that system is pulling information from our ILS and putting it into like a web version that patrons can interact with. So dealing with that connection and making sure that's set up properly and a good user experience um, that it, uh, you know, is fun and easy to use and all that kind of stuff. And the other thing that I think our systems team at Burnaby is going to start having more of a role in that is exciting for me because it's where a lot of my interest lies is in digital literacy. So that has to do with like supporting both staff and members of the public in um, both accessing technology, learning how to use it, thinking critically about it. Um, and it's something that's growing kind of in what we do as a library and is something that I think our systems is going to be involved in because it has to do with what technology we offer and how we train people with it and supporting staff which 
is also a big part of systems because, you know, a big part of how well our database works is how well our staff know how to use it. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's going to be my new year. There's a lot of things I got to learn. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And a lot of things that, like, I would be curious to know more about. Well, once I know them, <laughs> I will tell you. <laughs> yeah. So how about you, Karen? You've had some pretty exciting changes yourself this year. So much happened this year. Like, I graduated into pandemic, but when I graduated, so that was um, a big relief. Um, and also, I wish it felt a little bit more momentous, like, oh, that's the end of, you know, my my formal education, I think, mm -hmm. so far. Um, and then I had a lot, because of pandemic and like a lot of library closures and hiring freezes, um, it was really hard to find work for a long time. And I kind of expected post-grad job searching to be difficult anyway, but I didn't expect it to be this level of difficult where um, there was just a lot of competition. Just a comment on that too, like, I think it was so stark because the timing of your graduation was such that in February, I remember like postings were coming out for all of our local public library systems, we're going to hire auxiliaries, like, you know, stuff had already started to move in the way it more typically would, and it all just like dried up instantly and disappeared. Yeah. It was kind of horrifying to watch knowing you and other people graduating to be like, oh, my God, this is brutal. Yeah. And like my confidence level went up and down. Like I had an interview uh, for a position across the country and I made it to the second round and I felt good about it in that even if I I, I was thinking even if I didn't get it, I was enjoying the process and I really liked the interviews. Um, and then later on, um, I was like checking on who got the job and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like that person is way more qualified. But I, I really enjoyed that process. But it was very like the pandemic really did change a lot of things. And then through, as the summer went on, there were jobs where I thought like I, I feel qualified enough to at least get to an interview stage, but didn't. And it just felt like, well, what am I doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong and like maybe I am I, I can never know it could be like like we were talking about like am I not formatting things right in the way that you know they really specifically want things to be or it could just be like there's just a huge competition like people who graduated maybe like a year or two years or just they're switching jobs and so they they definitely have more experience and I did have like one 15 minute not interview it was like a 15 minute preliminary interview conversation where I felt that a lot of my student experience was just completely invalidated. And then afterwards, I was like, why? I still did work like the same work kind of as other people, but I just was a student. So it's just been like a lot of wavering confidence and just like my perception on how qualified or what I like, just the amount of stuff that I know, just sometimes I feel like I do know how to do some things. And then sometimes I feel completely like I know nothing. And I think both are true. It's just... And it's so the pandemic has made things very, very weird. But I have a Young Canada Works internship right now. And with the University of Victoria Special Collections and University Archives, uh, Young Canada Works is a grant funded program in Canada for uh, those who are under 30 and Canadian. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity, but it also like kind of narrows. It's a little bit 
like it excludes a lot of people, um, especially like people who are coming into this profession as like maybe a second career. So they might be over 30. Like I remember in school, we had a lot of American and international classmates. And so they obviously wouldn't qualify. Um, so these, like a lot of these positions wouldn't apply to them. And so I feel very grateful, but it's also frustrating to see that other people who are also struggling, like wouldn't have access to these positions. But anyway, the stream that I'm in is for people who have recently graduated. Because I, I had a Young Canada Works co-op at UVic two years ago for uh, people who are students and are going to be returning to school. So this one is for people who just finished school. And it's meant to kind of be like, you just graduated. Here's like a kind of six to seven month internship to like transition you to like a grown up job. Um, so it's, it's nice to be back where I was before. Because I know, like, I really like all my coworkers. It's just different now that we're all, you know, two meters apart and sometimes not all together. <laughs> In some ways, I guess that must be a real um, advantage to have worked there before for a summer. Like, can you imagine having to come in and do that new job if you hadn't known anybody and getting to know everyone during a pandemic? Like, I really feel for people making these positions and starting new jobs and whatever in this very very weird circumstance yeah just like the way we interact with people is so much is so different like now you kind of when you interact with someone you send an email because you need something and it's so much harder to just like chat with people and I think um the library at UVic and our unit has they're do we're doing our best and I really appreciate like the daily emails our weekly zooms um, but it's definitely very different it, it's weird being in a mostly empty library because we are open for a student study space by appointment so it feels very lonely which is good for public health but also very lonely yeah yeah fair um, <laughs> do you want to like share a bit about the kind of things you're working on in, during your internship because it's pretty interesting right now um i did some inventories of just book collections that we have to help with appraisals. So it helps the librarians and archivists to know what we already have in our holdings to see if we want to keep the stuff or sell it or do whatever to it. We have a lot of artists archives at UVic. So sorting through and processing those archives are, are fun to see like what people can, like what artists consider kind of worth keeping about their stuff. And there was a previous intern either last year or like the year before who like her internship, she produced the digital ethics and reconciliation and libraries and archives report. Um, so that's like a very comprehensive report on just kind of what the library can do in terms of digital ethics and reconciliation with materials. Um, so I'm kind of using that to and applying that to, um, we have an ethnobotanist's uh, materials and she worked a lot with BC First Nations. So uh, kind of just going through the report and seeing like how we can use that in, in that um, collection. Because it is an internship, it's, it's pretty flexible um, in terms of what I can do. Um, yeah, I know you were also doing some like instructional stuff and supporting classes and things like that, which is kind of interesting and weird online different than it might be otherwise where you get to show people around yeah when I did my co-op um because we had classes in person like it was great to help support that and I would like to do that more with this internship um I helped we had a theater class um and I just I helped our director with 
um, kind of selecting which materials um, and maybe how to structure that session. Um, but then on the day that they did the session, uh, we were recording that keynote. So I just kind of helped with the preliminary, the preparation. So hopefully, like in the future, I can actually help with facilitating an online in-person <laughs> session. But I imagine it's like much different now. And I attended a webinar on like virtual remote support. And it's like people are definitely like teasing through all the hiccups of just how to work with primary sources when you can't touch the primary sources. Yeah. Well, you're in the internship until the end of March. Yes. Yeah. or whatever mm -hmm. so the only other thing I'm going to say is I'm going to give a little Karen plug which is whoever is <laughs> listening to this that's hiring in the new year <laughs> well that's one thing that like I've been stressed about um is like and we were because we did that keynote on precarious work and I can't stop thinking about the fact that this internship will end like I've told myself, cause I like to like, not, I'd like, I try to schedule when I worry about things. So I don't just constantly worry. So I'm like, okay, I will worry about what will happen after this internship in like January or February, but I can't, I can't do like, I just constantly thinking about this will end soon. What will happen afterwards? Hiring takes a while. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's just like this, this stress that I, I can't get rid of. <laughs> yeah. That's, very real. It, that's a brutal, it's just totally brutal to have to go through that. Uh, yeah, precarious work sucks, but like, and it's, and it sucks because like, yeah. I'm so grateful for this position and, and then, you know, there's like, there, there are problems with, with gratitude, I think, like with just holding on to this one feeling and it kind mm -hmm. of eclipses a lot of other underlying issues that are harder to fix. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, holding both those things is, is tricky, for sure. Okay, well. Reading highlights? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, reading highlights. Let's distract ourselves with books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's start with general thoughts. I'm curious what reading was like for you in 2020. You graduated. Often people find graduating from grad school changes their reading, but you also lived through the, you know, a pandemic. So in the beginning of the year, I did a lot of reading for school. Um, I was taking an English graduate course for credit. So um, I read a little, like there were some of readings for that. I'm trying to remember what I did read for that class that were like novels. Um, but I also took an LGBTQ materials for children and teens in school. So there was a lot of reading for that too, which I think I mentioned in that other episode that we did. So um, post-grad though, because of that LGBTQ class, that gave me a lot of reading material. So I tried to continue that. This year I also bought an e-reader and I just read more e-books. So that was really nice. Um, it's easy when your local library has such a fabulous e-book collection. <laughs> <laughs> that e-book collection is a librarian behind it. <laughs> How do yeah. you find reading on an e-reader compared to reading paper books? 
it's I mean it's obviously different like in terms of just that tactile experience but it's nice to be able to read out in the sun even though I'm not supposed to be in the sun because of my skin condition and it's nice to be able to like be sideways in bed in the dark and just kind of tap the screen at it. <laughs> I know and it's not like heavy and you're like ah okay I have to turn over because the pages are now too heavy on that side of the book and yeah yeah I, I love it. It's fast to just get a new book now. Um, if I really love a book, I will buy it in, like, buy the physical copy because I would like to try to support, like, the book, like, uh, independent bookshops and, and authors. And it's nice to have, like, the physical copy, but it's great. I definitely recommend it. I'm not too into audiobooks yet, maybe, but yeah, ebooks are great. I love it. Yeah. But then in yeah. the summer, I had a big reading slump, and then I don't know why. Yeah, how was reading for you, though, in general, for the year? It was kind of hard. I read a lot of books last year. I also read a lot of graphic novels last year. And I have not read very many graphic novels this year because I've mostly been reading ebooks, And I don't really like reading graphic novels on my e-reader. I have tried reading audiobooks this year, mostly because of doing the digital resources stuff. I'm buying them all the time and reading these reviews of them. And I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. I should try re listening to this thing. For most of the year, I would I commute by bike, and so I can't listen to audiobooks, but I listen when I ride transit, which I'm doing a little bit more of now. I also did a lot of walking this year, like going for walks, and I listened to a lot of audiobooks doing that in the spring. And I'm like, I feel medium about them. I like, I, I see the benefit. I can't listen to very long audiobooks, and I can't listen to anything really complicated because I zone out, and then I zone back in, and I don't know what's going on. And I don't know how to find the place where I was before. <laughs> Unlike a book where I can really strongly visualize the what the pages look like, I'm like skipping backwards. So anyways, audiobooks are, I'm, I'm kind of learning how to use them still in a way that works for me. But I also found this year I gave up on a lot of books. Like there were a lot of books that I think usually I would be really into. Like the description sounds like my kind of thing. People I know like the book, etc. And then I would start reading the book. And if a book didn't grab me quite quickly, I just gave up on it. I was like, whatever, I don't care. I even gave up on some books that I was like really far into, like halfway through or like more. And I, you know, I would get to a point and I'd be like, you know what, this book is not doing it for me. I'm not going to finish it. And I don't usually like push through if I'm not enjoying a book. But I think I felt a lot more ambivalent about a wider range of books than I usually would this year. So that was weird for me. And another thing that's new for me this year, and when we get into specific recommendations, this will be clear, but um, I kind of got into historical fiction, which is a genre I remember liking as a kid and then didn't have, haven't read much of for a long time. And I've gotten really into it. And I think it has something to do with... Um, well, there's something similar between historical fiction and sci-fi and fantasy, which is what I usually read a lot of, which is this like world building element and like getting to know a new place and time. But I think also I'm finding historical fiction really interesting this year because I feel like we're in this momentous historical moment and things are changing really fast around us. And reading about other times and places where that's been the case is somehow reassuring and interesting somehow. I don't know. We'll get more into it with the specific things, but I'm kind of getting into it. And if people have suggestions for historical fiction they really like, send them to me. But my qualification is that a lot of historical fiction are these big brick-like books. Like, you know, um, 
like Hilary Mantel's books or Ken Follett's books or whatever, I don't read those. <laughs> I tried reading Hilary Mantel's books because she won all those prizes and the last one came out and I heard it's good. And I, that was one that I gave up on after soldiering through like fairly far. I gave up. Anyways, so that's kind of how my year was for reading. You mentioned though commuting because like I no longer commute. I read a lot less. I think maybe that's why. Like there was no hour long bus ride. And if I'm walking or biking or driving, like I can't read or listen to anything. So yeah, that definitely changed my reading habits. Yeah. And that's another reason, we've talked about this before, but that's another reason I like reading on an e-reader. I prefer reading on my e-reader if I'm commuting. The other thing, I'm like a notorious for if I'm eating, unless it's like a meal with other people, I'm always, I always like to read <laughs> while I eat. And I like the e-reader for that because it stays open to the page and I can use my hands to eat because when it's a paper book, oh, it's like not good. You got the phone balancing on it to hold it open or you're like trying to hold it while like also using a knife. It's just uh, just bad. So that's my other e-reader plug for people who struggle to make all those logistics work. Anyways, okay, let's move on to talk about specific books. <laughs> What um, books have you enjoyed this year? We can go back and forth. So I won't mention the books that I mentioned in, I think, episode 26 when we were like books and feelings in the time of COVID-19. I remember at the end of that episode, I was like, I've been reading really heavy books and then I need to read lighter books. Uh, but I <laughs> immediately after I read um, Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me by Anna mailer Paperny. I guess content warning for depression and suicide, but... Um, yeah, she's a journalist and she it's a memoir about her journey with with mental health and mental illness and um it was depressing to read and um it it was kind of clear with like telling you you know this is not gonna this is not gonna be like you know stay strong and everything's gonna be okay but it was it was good i think to read someone's journey through it it, it kind of gives you a little bit of hope, but in a very realistic sense, I think. That sounds good. It sounds like a good balance of tone. I think that's really hard to strike when writing about that kind of a topic. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read very many, like, I don't read very, any self-help books on depression and, and mental health generally. Uh, so I don't know why. I think the title caught me <laughs> with this one. <laughs> How about you? What were some of your highlights? I kind of struggled to come up with highlights and a little bit like I was saying in the intro I struggled with finding books I really 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 liked this year I read a lot of romance novels because I know exactly what I'm gonna get when I read it but I did struggle to come up and even some of the ones I have on my list here I'm like I don't even know if it really so I basically only have two <laughs> maybe three actually maybe three but one of them I wanted to talk to you about because I read well actually I listened to on audiobook a, tr a new translation of Beowulf and I basically thought of you the whole time because I don't even know if you like Beowulf <laughs> but I associate you very strongly with like um old complicated literature things because you're undergrad <laughs> you know you studied English and you know about that kind of stuff and I never took an English class <laughs> Anyway, so I listened to this translation of Beowulf by Maria Davana Heedley. 
I'm going to be honest and say I also did not finish it. But the part I listened to, I did enjoy. And the introduction, I also found very interesting because she explains, like, how she made all these translation decisions. She, like, really used modern language, which which made it more uh, approachable for me. Um, and the reason I didn't finish it is not because I didn't like it, but it's because I was listening to the audiobook on the ferry. And Sean was like, I don't want to listen to this. So <laughs> we only got halfway through. And then I never had the time to finish listening to it. But anyways... Yeah. Do you like Beowulf? My first introduction to it was actually the graphic novel. Oh. And it was beautifully like illustrated. Yeah, my undergrad was in medieval studies and with a focus on medieval literature. Oh my Is Beowulf medieval? Maybe the maybe whether you like it is not even the right question because it's obviously like a big deal and influential piece of literature. Yeah. I enjoy it as a piece of literature. I think there was always that question, like, is it good because it's genuinely good or is it good because it's like the only surviving and there's only one copy and it almost died in a fire. And um, I I think it's interesting as like an object as well, though, like as as like a text that exists through history and how it kind of made it into our canon and how it shapes the way we study literature. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think after I wrote my thesis on like the manuscript itself and yeah, like it's place in our canon, I was like, okay, I'm done with it now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll try the graphic novel. Cause I kind of yeah. want to know what happens. Like, you know, I got through the intro. It's very dramatic. It's a, it's a, but like a fun story, I guess, like with dragons and Kings and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check out the graphic novel. Um, over to you. I did a lot of rereading this year, too. Um, I reread Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. Um, it was also a Studio Ghibli adaptation, which is beautiful. And I rewatched that, too, for, like, the millionth time. And uh, some friends and I, we, like, reread books that we read in, in high school, like The Hunger Games and um, A Great and Terrible Beauty, which was not as great as we remembered it to be. <laughs> um, I guess the other book I, I genuinely really liked was The Poppy War, which I mentioned in our last episode by R.F. Kuang. I read the sequel, The Dragon Republic, and now I'm reading The Burning God, which came out end of November. So I'm enjoying it. It is like a war story. Um, it's very violent and my one gripe with it so far, and I was telling our friend Victoria about this because it's just so violent and like the characters are just suffering so much pain and injury. It's like my suspension of disbelief is just like not working because I, I also have a martial arts background and I also know how fragile like a body can be. So when like a character undergoes just a lot of physical harm and they just keep going, I'm like this also because I'm just going through a lot of health things myself. I'm just like, this feels unrealistic. (laughs) I can't stop that thought in my head. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, You putting Howl's Moving Castle on this by Diana Wynne-Jones made me think of some audiobooks I did listen to that fit my short attention span where I listened to the Crestomancy series, which is also by her, um, which I had read as a kid. I mean, it's been like probably 20 years since I read them, but um, 
I remember them enough and they are kids books so I could follow along even if I zoned out for a while but also they're very engaging stories so I didn't zone out so much um but it is it is weird to reread stuff that you read as a kid and um I fairly regularly will reread a thing that I read as a kid to be like what's this like I remember loving this and some you know it's often fun and the plot moves fast and the characters are funny and you know whatever but it's also kind of horrifying stuff that's in some of those books um that when I notice it now it really sends me into a lot of questioning of like did I notice that as a kid and if I did what did I think of it did it affect me how did it shape me whatever like did it just like go over my head and I didn't realize that what they were saying or doing was so problematic um you know obviously like a lot of this stuff has to do with race or gender or class or you know different kinds of power dynamics but yeah it is uh that is like that weird tension of rereading and like you know revisiting and enjoying things um but still like being critical of them or being like really do you know do you need to use that example or do you need to have that word in there or yeah but I didn't I should maybe I should listen to Howl's Moving Castle I didn't do that one it's not in the series but it is good and the movie is very beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah that is interesting about rereading and like I think a lot of things might have gone over my head I was re-watching a lot of old movies actually and I realized, like, maybe my English wasn't very good, but I realized a lot of movies, I had no idea what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Now I can hear it. And I'm like, oh, that's what the movie was about. <laughs> or, like, that's yeah. what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it shaped me in some way, right? Like, all those things are, you know, really deeply underlie, you know, I guess, like, how we're socialized or whatever but yeah anyway um Uh, the other thing my other one the thing that I have loved most reading this year and this is probably actually my last recommendation I just I just I don't know I can't um somehow this year has made it really hard for me to enjoy a lot of these things but I have fallen in love with an author whose name is Jillian Bradshaw she mostly was writing during like the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. I don't think she's publishing anymore, but if she's waiting to put out another book, I'll be the first in line to buy it. But she writes historical fiction, and later she has also written a lot of fantasy stuff for kids. I've never, I haven't read any of that, but I've read a, most of her historical fiction that I've been able to get, and some of it is hard to get now. Um, I started by reading this book of hers called The Beacon at Alexandria, and I read it because... Joe Walton, who I think I spoke about last time we did this, because she wrote this book, The Informal History of the Hugos. Um, She has a monthly blog post that she puts on Tor.com of, like, things she's read over the last month, and I love it. Her descriptions of books are extremely good. They're conversational and funny, and um, she writes like she's talking to a friend, so it's it's very nice. Um, And she recommended this book, The Beacon at Alexandria, and it's about a young woman who wants to be a doctor, uh this is like during the Roman Empire which I know is like a long period of time in a lot of different places but I'm not good at remembering details (laughs) but anyways um and she's her dad has like 
you know, pick somebody she's supposed to marry and she's supposed to get married, but she's like, I really don't want to do this. So she runs away to Alexandria and disguises herself as a eunuch and, you know, pursues the study of medicine. And it's about her whole life. And she like ends up going to all these different places and meeting all these different people and doing all this different stuff. Anyways, it's, it's a good book. I really enjoyed it. The writing, you know, it really pulls you into the plot. The setting is good. The character's interesting. And then I've just, like, read, like, so many of her books. And I also, like, I really like The Island of Ghosts, which is about a Sarmatian warrior in um, Britain. Um, I just finished reading one uh, this week, which was called The Wolf Hunt, which was more of, like, a fairy tale retelling in 12th century um, uh, France. Um, And... That was really good. Just like anything, all her historical fiction, I just really love. And it does deal, like, there's definitely some heavy stuff in there. Like, uh, like your, like, content warning about, like, her books. Some of them involve rape. Um, and um, there's, you know, like, there's heavy stuff that happens in, the, in some of them. But they're fantastic books. So they have really given me a lot. <laughs> I've really enjoyed them, so would recommend and I'm trying desperately to find other writers who are like her and having a hard time finding people that really do the same thing so if anybody knows one let me know I was talking with some friends about just like how we find books and I think most of the time I I very rarely I guess find an author and then realize oh I really like their writing and just read all of their stuff um, and I wonder if I should try to do that more because I just because I just don't do it very often. I kind of just read what other people enjoy or I, I maybe see it. And I'm like, oh, that cover is pretty. I'll, I'll read it because I've noticed recently like summaries of books don't really catch my eye anymore. Like I don't like things will sound interesting, but I don't feel that like urge to read it because it sounds so interesting. Like I, I feel that urge more if someone I know also enjoyed it <laughs> and I don't know if it's because like now I'm just grateful to have time to read and I'm like I'll read anything um <laughs> and but two books that I I also really enjoyed um that I read that I found because like people kind of hyped them up was um This Place which was a graphic um graphic novel anthology by various authors um it's very beautiful um it's like the last 150 years of you know, quote unquote, Canada through an indigenous, um, indigenous perspectives. Um, there are timelines before each story. So I learned a lot through those and it like really highlighted gaps in my Canadian history education. Um, and it was just like, I think that combination of text and visual was um, just a really good experience. And um, it was, it was a great it's a great graphic novel. I really graphic anthology. I really recommend it. Um, and I guess I'll mention the last one, which was um, uh, it's a book translated from Korean by Cho Nam Ju called Kim Ji Young, born 1982. I think I saw it on someone's Instagram story. Um, and it was good. But the whole time I just wanted to scream because it was it's it's about um, so Kim Ji-young is apparently like one of the most common names for women in, in South Korea. And um, it's about sexism and misogyny. And it's just kind of about a woman who suddenly in the beginning, she kind of slips into 
the personality of another of other women and so the book is written from um a psychiatrist's um like a mental health professional's point of view and it's kind of like a biography of her life and how she kind of moved through being a young girl a student university becoming a working woman and in the end it was like it was I think it was done really well but it was so frustrating because I guess it was like relatable and it was just like realistic in some ways too um so I wouldn't recommend it if you're looking for a happy read but it was definitely like a well-written uh book <laughs> fair fair yeah you know the thing with finding authors and then reading all their stuff it is something that I do <laughs> for sure when I really like an author but I think in this case with Jillian Bradshaw it also has to do with she's a classic scholar. So like her stuff is well researched. She has these great epilogues always after and she tells you like these things like there's, you know, historical evidence for and these things I took some license with and um yeah, I really value that for this like that kind of historical writing. It added a lot to it and yeah. I think it's hard too because some authors a lot of their stuff is has very similar tone and style and then you get other authors where it's like you know, they're, the stuff they write is so different that um, it's hard to follow them in the same way. Like, you know, you might pick up one book and you're just like, wow, it's like a whole different thing than what I thought I was going to get. I don't know. I think that's a good strategy, though, to read. Like, if they're, if an author's books are all, like, similar in some way, because if you like those elements, you know, hopefully you would get that again. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel that's a good way to at least be on a good reading kick. Yeah. Yeah. I should try more often. <laughs> it's hard to because then you get the debate. I struggled with this a lot with, with her stuff because there's only so many of them. It's like, do you pace yourself if you really love them so you can enjoy them over time? And I know some people who swear by that. Or do you take the Allison approach where you just, like, you read all of them really fast and then you're like, why aren't there more? Um <laughs> But I don't have a lot of qualms about rereading, so I don't mind. Like, give me a year, I will have forgotten everything that happened in the book, so I can reread it and have pretty much the same good experience. But that, I think that's a, that's a tension that I know some people struggle with with the with authors they love too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what are you hoping? Um, maybe we can finish with some thoughts for twenty twenty one. Well, let's not get too grand because COVID, mm -hmm. who knows, but is there anything you're really hoping for in terms of reading in 2021? Like, do you have something you want to read or a book you're really anticipating or a genre you want to explore or are you doing a reading challenge? I don't know. Like, do you have any reading things coming up that you're like thinking about? I kind of want to read more nonfiction. Like I've, we, you know, we being in school, we read a lot of articles, but I don't think I've, I don't have the time to sit down and read like a nonfiction book very often. But one book that was actually I've been thinking a lot about was because um, we interviewed Jessica Schomburg earlier this year and their book uh, co-authored with Wendy Hybe, Beyond Accommodation, Creating an Inclusive Workplace for Disabled Library Workers had come out recently. So I, I really want to try to get my hands on that just because that was such an interesting conversation and um, I don't have a disability, but I do have a chronic health problem that's been flaring up a lot 
for the past year, maybe because of stress or weather or whatever. And I've just been thinking about like disability studies a lot because um, like my eczema has just really affected my ability to work. Being able to work from home has been such a big help where I can just take care of myself and not feel too bad about constantly like having to get up to go to the washroom and wash my hands and moisturize or do whatever. And like, I can, I just have more flexibility with my day if I just can't, you know, adhere to a strict schedule. But yeah, I've been thinking just a lot about like chronic health and disability and accessibility and accommodation and like what will things look like afterwards and being a new professional and not wanting to like come off as lazy but also like yeah just a lot of I think also internalized ableism that I think it'd be good to kind of tease out and process and yeah but that's that's just the one big thing I've I've been thinking about going into 2021 but nonfiction. okay yeah how are you I'm hoping stuff starts to connect with me more than it has this year that I'm reading um I'm really looking forward to, I know last year we talked about this, but I had read all the Hugo nominees um, and I really, really enjoyed doing that. And I'm very much looking forward to doing that again in 2021. And I'm talking with a couple of friends about, I should invite you, Karen, about starting a little book club that like reads all the nominated books and discusses them. So I'm looking forward to reading the Hugo nominees. There are a couple of series that I'm hoping the next book will come out in. Like, I actually don't know if it's due out in 2021, but I hope I talked about it earlier this year. But Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir was my favorite of the Hugo nominees this year. And the second book in that series came out this year and it was fantastic and very weird. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the third book in that series um there's a few there's a couple others but I can't remember off the top of my head of what, what it is that I was looking for and yeah I I think that's what I'm excited about in the new year I think that's that's everything I mean, yeah. have, have I forgotten anything um I guess if folks have any suggestions or things they really want to hear from us in the new year um let us know we have some ideas but again it's not set in stone yet we're still planning it out so we'd love to hear from others yeah definitely and send us your reading suggestions maybe mm -hmm. you can help us find things we're gonna love okay well we can be found on twitter at organizing pod with a z not an s our email is organizing ideas pod at gmail.com our website is organizing ideas you can find links to some of the stuff we've talked about we'll link to some books and so forth and transcripts for the episodes thanks again to victoria and sam for doing them bye bye